welcome to the second series of the Reworked podcast, brought to you by diversity consultancy EW Group. I'm Rachel Wilson, and every fortnight I'll be speaking to CEOs, HR leaders and workplace activists about the steps they are taking to reform and rework organisational culture. People returning to work after a career break, for children, travel, whatever reason, can face an uphill struggle to be taken seriously in the job market. The transferable skills they possess could be a real asset to our organisations, but they are all too often overlooked. Today I'm speaking to Dominique Moss about what her company is doing to change the return to work status quo. Dominique established the Return Hub in 2016 as a unique recruitment firm which places professionals who want to relaunch after a career break with employers in the financial services sector. So Dominique, welcome to Reworked. Thank you for joining the podcast today. Thank you for having me, Rachel. I'm really excited about our conversation. We had a pre-chat and we got straight into some of the nitty-gritty around supporting women back into work after maternity and um, there is such a lot to talk about, isn't there? It's a big subject. Yes. But just to set the scene before I go into some questions for you, um, some research that I was reading recently from uh, a magazine called MMB, I guess you've probably seen this, the magazine for working parents. It was in Personnel Today, and I'll put a link to it on the episode notes. Okay. But they um, interviewed a 1,000 senior women last year. 18%, only 18%, felt happy and confident about returning to work. Mm. Um, more than a third felt so unsupported and isolated on their return, they considered handing in their notice. And yeah. one, sorry, nine in ten, so 90%, said they weren't offered any formal support through a returner programme. These stats are generally quite familiar to us, I think, in the business that we work in, the difficulty that women have in um, being yeah. supported, returning to work. Yeah. <clears throat> how does this, yeah, how does this play out? So these yeah. are, these are, yeah. This is a big issue for organisations as well as for the women themselves, isn't it? And it what, is. What's some of the impact it is. of this? Well, I think that's right. I think there's, I mean, there was some research done by PwC uh, a few years ago on the topic of women returners, and they identified that there were 427,000 professional women currently on a career break who will return to work. So this is a huge issue across corporate UK and one which. You know, I think enlightened employers are increasingly aware of, and um, you know, I think the, the difficulty is, is we, we you know, the, you talked about sort of lack of confidence um, <clears throat> in your in the first point, and you know, we hear this a lot. You know, employers sort of say, well, you know, this is a group of people that have, a, you know, they must be lacking in confidence, and um, I think that's sort of part, partly partly true for some. I mean, you know, we see lots of candidates who come onto our radar who are absolutely desk ready and raring to go, and. You know, are, are, have you know all the confidence in the world, but I think, you know, there is a significant number that are feeling like that is an issue for them, and um, and and the thing is, it's not just that that it's sort of coming from themselves, thinking, gosh, I haven't done this for a while, have things moved on? You know, am I out of date? Will my network remember me? And, and all of those, you know, perfectly kind of natural questions. But I think also one of the biggest challenges for them is that the recruitment industry, that would be the sort of you know provide the usual traditional paths back to work. Or, or, or if you were looking for a new job, let's say, you know, they would th- that industry just wasn't built for these people. Um, you know, if we look at how um, executive search at the senior end finds talent, that's all about finding people who are already in a role. And frankly, you know, big search firms or small search firms, you know, to, to have sort of 
candidates approach them with that, that may not be fitting a role that they're working on is just added work and, and there's not really much they can do to help them. Um, and then you've got the sort of recruitment agencies at the volume end, which is very much, which they're very much driven by time to hire and, you know, how can they find this sort of squarest peg candidate in the quickest time frame and what is a very competitive process for them. Um, you know, again, if you've got a CV that looks like it's, you know, somewhat unconventional, you're kind of going to get kicked out of the process. And then you've got the jobs boards where you might have even, you know, senior roles advertised online now, the algorithms that will match your application or your CV to a job description will again kick you out if you're not um, the square peg square hole candidate. So so what can happen is if you don't understand those barriers in the recruitment industry, you can very easily think that it's you. And uh, that again kind of reinforces that lack of confidence. So so we, you know, I always sort of say, you know, raising awareness of these issues, hopefully it lets people understand that perhaps it's the system, you know, and not them. Um, and knowing where those where those hurdles are can help them you know, navigate round them, under them, over them, whilst we try and restructure the industry. Um, so, yeah, and then the other, some of the other research absolutely speaks to, to our experience um, of, of employers bringing people back into the workplace. But I, I do think there are now more and more supported schemes. I think there's about 70 companies that run um, a sort of structured return to work programme. Uh, in the UK and uh, you know that number's obviously only going to increase. Mm. I wanted to ask you about some of examples of what the best companies are doing maybe we come back to that because <laughs> I think we should cover first of yeah. all Return Hub and how yes. you you've scoped out thank you for you've scoped out the kind of the landscape there yes. um, in terms of uh, yeah. the recruitment industry. Yeah. Um, where does Return Hub sit in that mix? Yeah, so 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 well, my background is ex- executive search, so I I know you know I know the rules of the road from a recruitment perspective. I worked in the executive search in the city for about sixteen years and set the Return Hub up when it became very clear that there were hundreds of people applying for these return to work programs in the financial sector, um, and and you know relatively small numbers available on these programs. Um, and it became really clear that uh, these programmes were a very high-touch thing to do for an employer, uh, which was fine if you were you know, a big investment bank and you had the resources. Um, but I guessed, I suppose at the time it was a bit of a guess, that there'd be lots of employers who would love to do the same thing and reach this talent pool. Um, and if we, could, if we could do that for them in a curated fashion, uh, then we would be really be adding value to the, to the process for, for employers by enabling them access to an extremely high-quality talent pool that they're missing out on but also to help bring all those women um, who are looking to relaunch their careers a, a proper pathway back. And, um, and obviously, whilst we, you know, like any firm, can't guarantee to give a, to get a job, uh, we do, uh, you know, we thought long and hard about how can we help everybody raise their game. And so we have lots of free resources on our website from CV writing webinars, LinkedIn profile writing webinars, interview skills, all that sort of thing. Um, and, um, uh, and, yeah, so we've now grown the team to six. We're all either ex uh, search professionals or come from the markets uh, themselves so you know, have a very good understanding of the financial sector and you know what what does what does good look like I guess from an employer perspective when thinking about candidates but also having a really good understanding of transferable skills so you know candidate A did XYZ they may not want to do that again but we can understand where they might add value in another mm. role um, and and so yeah so we now so we have we design deliver and recruit for uh employees who want to uh, run their own return to work program and uh, actually the majority of what we now do is putting our candidates back into roles as part of sort of business usual hiring strategy okay fabulous and you're the women that are on your books yeah so I'm just trying to get a sense for, for where they are in life are yeah. they because they're looking for a new job 
yeah. are they what are they typically people who've been um, had an extended period out of work? Yeah. Um, yeah, so it really very it's such a good question because I really often get asked, you know, so what's a typical returner? Mm-hmm. And uh, of course, everyone has a t- different story, and it's really easy to think they're all mothers, all women, and they all want to work part time. Um, what I would perhaps say is really interesting for us when we looked at the stats: seventy three percent of our candidates tick the full time box when they register with us. Um, over half of them have more than ten years experience in the workplace. And um, I would say the majority have sort of between 18 months and probably about five years of a career break. But I do also think it's really important to talk a little bit more about what a career break really means. Mm. Because, you know, for us, our candidates are, you know, they, they come from a financial services background. So they've, they've had a sort of good, you know, 10, 15, 20 years maybe experience in, you know, a very competitive, competitive, high level, um, you know, environment. And so what we find is whilst they've been on a break, it doesn't sound like much of a break because they've also been, you know, setting up businesses, being entrepreneurs, doing an MBA, doing charity work, sitting on the board of governance of a school, running the PCA, you know, whatever it might be, as well as looking <laughs> after children. Absolutely. Although I have to say they're not they're not all mothers, but obviously a good a good percentage are. But um but yeah, so they're a really busy bunch and and actually, one I think we put some research that we did recently for the Women and Work All Party Parliamentary Group for their for their latest report that was out last month. Um, you know, a really high percentage. I think it was seven out of ten said that they they felt they'd actually acquired new skills while they've been on a break, and um, and and in particular emotional intelligence and some of these soft skills which you know, frankly, is are increasingly important to employers. You know, those human skills are, you know, super, super important. The technical stuff, you can teach. You know, you can teach a smart person the subject matter expertise pretty quickly. You know, what you can't teach is, is years of experience of, you know, developing soft, those soft skills, they, that, that high emotional intelligence, the ability to manage people, to read an audience, to motivate a team, to have perspective, to have maturity, all of these things. Um, and, and and so I think, you know, part of the work that we do is really that education piece to say, look, let's bust some of the myths around who these people are. Um, you know, they're not out of touch, out of date. And, and, and you know, mm. these are this is an amazing talent pool of people that, that you know, employers really should be uh, able to tap into. So what are these, what are the sorts of, what are you learning from the women who come to you about their experiences mm. in employment, maybe going through the pregnancy? Um, I did have some also some stats from the Equality and Human Rights Commission who mm. reported last year that mm. 77% of mothers said they had a negative or possibly discriminatory experience during pregnancy. Is that Does that mm. chime with your experience? Do you know, we don't really get into that. That's not really mm. sort of our... Um, within our remit, if you like. Um, I mean, obviously, we ask people why they left their most recent role. Um, and it really does vary, right? Um but I would, one of the things perhaps to say that's interesting on the point of why do, you know, why do women leave their roles within the financial services sector? Um, and because we, we, it's really, again, it's very easy to think, well, they left because they didn't have flexibility or they left because they couldn't get affordable childcare or, or, or whatever it is. But actually, when you look at the data on um, the, the sort of answers to the questions to that question in sort of exit interviews and, and research, one of the main reasons that women leave their jobs in the city is through is because of lack of career progression, and um, I think that absolutely rings true with the, some of the candidates that we work with. So there are assumptions made about their level of ambition, mm-hmm. their level of commitment, 
um, particularly sort of post-children or even if they haven't had children yeah, and there's an assumption that they might have children and then how committed will they be so there's all of these things and of course I'm talking in really broad brush strokes here and making some big generalizations um, but I, I think you know that is a it is a common story that um, that that lack of career advancement and career progression is an issue why not just why they leave the industry but why they will leave one employer to join another yeah so in terms of what organisations and companies can do differently or better, yeah. does that then take us neatly to your, your return? You said you, you design return to work yeah. schemes. What do they look like? Yeah. Um, so it can really vary because a lot of organisations already have a, a, you know, a very um, sort of, they might have a sort of a, a, program, a, you know, a graduate programme, for example, which, which they can adapt to suit a more senior cohort and imply, apply some of the lessons that they learn from that kind of a programme to this more senior cohort. Um, but I do think that the concept of a returnship, and when I'm talking about a returnship versus a return to work programme, I'm talking about a sort of three to six month sort of internship, if you like, versus what is a sort of temp to perm contract so there's a permanent role at the end of it and the two are actually quite different and I'm probably getting into the weeds here a bit and in sort of explaining the difference but um, there is a marked difference between those two models we always favour the second so the temp to perm contract the, 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 the role, go into a role where there is an actual role at the end of it the difficulty with the, with the sort of internship model is you know that whilst they can progress people into a permanent role it's a, more of a challenge for an employer to find that permanent headcount at the end of the program so we you know we do we do sort of there's, there's a bit of a difference between the between the two really um but i mean typically they are um uh, you know it's a supported route back it's some kind of enhanced onboarding the the single most important thing that we find from a candidate perspective is providing that third party support through a coach so very much um you know how do you how do you provide that sort of third party perspective to someone returning to work and what can perhaps for some be an up and down journey um, how do you help them rebuild their confidence rebuild their resilience remember their professional self um, and all of these things you know none of which is rocket science but just providing that um, that level of support and that kind of thoughtful return to work um, is is absolutely most often the, the sort of feedback we get that that's the sort of key bit and, it, and it's really about sort of you know how do you tee that person up for success when they arrive back at work um, and, and and not just them but also the hiring manager that's also perhaps having to manage somebody who is not a typical you know a typical team member for them and, and remembering the support that, that hiring manager might need and how do they manage that person um, and I think those are sort of two key bits of ingredient in making a return to work programme a success. Yeah, that's really interesting. I wonder if we could talk a bit more about the manager, yeah, male or female, their their soft skills and what, yeah. what they need to focus on in your experience. Yeah, well, I mean, a lot of the, the, the sort of the, the you know the, that sort of mid level hiring manager really is where the key I think to a lot of sort of um, increasing the diversity of the workforce really lands. But the big challenge for them, if you haven't given them a toolkit to know how to, you know, even how to assess and onboard someone who is not your traditional candidate, let's say, or who has a sort of non-linear career history, um, because it's all very well sort of the message coming down from the top to say, you know, we want to increase our levels of diversity, we want to have a look at non-linear careers, non-traditional career paths, you know, and by the way, more and more people as the time moves on are going to have these non-traditional career paths. So, they, you know, this is not something that uh, that hiring managers are having to think about just for, you know, returning women. This is going to be an ongoing issue. Um, but you know, but, but but how do you how do you actually say we want you to do this, and this is how we're going to support you in that, and and some of it again is is not really rocket science. It's I mean we we learned this from the very first program that we did 
uh, for one of our clients where the hiring managers were coming down to interview the, the, the candidates and it was the feedback that we had from some of the candidates was that they would come into the interview room and they would be sort of tumbleweed blowing across the table because nobody quite knew what to say to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and it ended up with spraying off on that sort of candidate sort of having to grasp the metal and sort of you know, lead the conversation to make the hiring manager feel comfortable. And that was a real lesson for us to think, well, of course, this is completely fair enough because you're asking the hiring manager to do something which is completely out of their, uh, not necessarily comfort zone, but out of their experience. And just being able to give them a sort of framework and a toolkit of how to run that interview to how to, and you know, frankly, how to get the best out of that candidate during what might be a 45 minute time frame. You know, how do you get what you need to know about that candidate in that time frame? How do you put them at their ease? How do you get them to shine when it's a very different ask of that candidate from perhaps, say, a, 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 the usual candidate that might be walking over the road from one of your competitors and sitting in having just you know been very sort of active in that in that particular mm. sector um so it's, it's it's about sort of you know getting the most out of that time together yeah and how would you advise managers to ask those questions about extended career yeah. breaks and yeah it, it, it yeah. will often come up as a concern won't it on yeah on that side of the table yeah yeah i yeah. need to feel reassured yeah. that this person yeah is committed to coming back or whatever my fears are, yeah. but how, how do yeah. they go about asking those questions? I think it's, to start off with, it's about asking about their story. Um, you know, hopefully they will come to that meeting having, a, you know, done their research, understanding what the company is. You know, hopefully they will have had a good brief on what the role is. If the company's taking a more of a talent-led approach, then it's really about being able to draw out from that person, you know, what is their experience, what are their skills, um, you know, getting them to feel at ease and also really thinking about, uh, you know, in a skills, about skills-based interview. So thinking about how do you, how does that person, you know, articulate what are their core skills, you know, and if it is things like, you know, leadership or, you know, management experience or sales experience or relationship management experience, you know, how can they demonstrate that they have those skills? What have they done to sort of, you know, evidence that? And I mean, we had one uh, really interesting example. I, I I thought of a of a candidate that we placed. One of our first candidates actually, and she'd had some time out of her city career, and she'd um, been running an art consulting business, so dealing with ultra high net worth individuals, but from home, managing their you know buying and tax and shipping and all this sort of thing. Um, and the company that hired her asked her to go in for her final round interview and present to the management team on her art consulting business. So they were able to see her demonstrate all of these skills, you know, her presentation skills, how could she articulate herself, her sales skills, dealing with a senior audience, all of this sort of stuff, but in a way that was very comfortable for her on a topic that she knew absolutely. And, you know, it just enabled her to really shine. Mm-hmm. And they got what they wanted out of it. And, and But she was in a, in a, you know, in an environment or she was on a topic where she absolutely knew her stuff. And she, she got the job and she actually retook her, her regulatory exams a month later. She's, she's, you know, went back, she's working full time. And, and, you know, it's been a great, great experience for everyone. So, you know, it's just thinking about, you know, how do you get what you need to know from that person? Yeah, yeah. I bet there is a lot of entrepreneurialism in this this group of uh, women that you're meeting amount. and dealing yeah. with. It's yeah, they're amazing. a real get up and go bunch. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, there are other examples I can give you of where that's, you know, where that's happened. But um, yeah, as I say, you know, these are these are people who, uh, you know, haven't haven't have been busy. Yeah. So we're talking about the recruitment process quite a lot here, and obviously this is uh, your specialism and where you often come into the process, I guess. Um, we in our conversation, our 
prior to this this podcast recording, we <laughs> talked a fair bit, and we were getting quite animated about automation versus yes. <laughs> in, in the sifting process versus yeah. what we, you've just been talking about, which is the mm-hmm. human element mm-hmm. of, of decision making. Mm-hmm. As you say, enabling people to shine in that process, and mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of noise, I think, in HR tech at the moment around yeah. how you can potentially overcome some biases by taking mm. people out of the process mm. um, and replacing that with, you know, mm. with software and automation. So I don't buy it. Your, yes, <laughs> <laughs> that's where I stopped I you last time. I think it's hugely yeah. dangerous, and um, actually, as long as the the, 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 so as I see it, these um, sorry, as I see it, the automation of the recruitment process and the efficiencies that are being put into the system are really all about um, perpetuating this sort of square peg, square holism. So, <coughs> you know, if you're asking a computer to predict what a successful candidate looks like. The data sets that you're measuring that candidate on are going to be based on what success looked like in the past. And I'm just not sure I believe that there are enough diverse there isn't enough diversity in the data set to predict outcomes for diverse candidates. Um, the data sets are by the very nature of the fact that we know that this this sector is fairly homogenous are going to be mm. the same um, <coughs> and so uh, we went to a, a, a big tech rec tech uh, recruitment technology uh, event conference not so long ago and we spoke to a lot of companies that were there who are very much involved in this sort of automation and processes in, in the recruitment industry and speaking to the developers and coders there you know they will say the same thing that absolutely it is a, it is a challenge and the danger is is, is you you wrap up this this concept of a computer making the decision as a sort of unbiased, you know, there can be no bias, it's a computer making the decision. You, you know, you have to, one has to sort of understand that that computer is only going to make a decision based on what it's been told to make a decision on by a human being. Mm. And you're actually embedding, or there is a danger of embedding those biases in the machine and wrapping it up in this um, sort of, you know, dresser if you like of, of being unbiased mm. and um, you know there's you know AI it's really easy to think that we're you know AI is going to be taking all over all our jobs and everything and you know it's going to have the answer to everything and it's absolutely not the case you know if you're asking AI is is there is there are all the different various different classes of question that you can that you that one can ask and um, the very sort of commoditized class of question you know how much, what's the price point for a pen if, you know, 100,000 people are all going to be buying that pen, if they buy that pen, are they also buying a pencil case? You know, all this stuff that Amazon will, all these, these um, you know, algorithms that Amazon will use to sort of make these very efficient buying suggestions and price points, you know, perfect class of question for AI, absolutely. It can crunch data at incredibly fast speeds and, and make recommendations and adjustments. But you ask it to make a decision on a human being with a very nuanced career, personality, set of experiences, networks, you know, potential clients, operational experience, you know, educational background, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. 
and ask and ask that system to kind of spew out an answer and it is just not there you know it just isn't that the technology isn't isn't there and I don't necessarily think that it ever will be and I'm not sure it will ever be able to replace that the nuances of a human being being able to make that decision Mm. and so I think from a from an AI perspective there are undoubtedly some great questions in the recruitment industry that um, can be made more efficient uh, in terms of the sort of operational processes and procedures and maybe a sort of there are various sort of low level touches of engagement through a candidate process that may well be suitable for this kind of automation but I think when you're looking at a particularly senior cohort of experienced hires there this the, the, the technology just isn't there mm-hmm. Do you agree? I do agree. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Yes, definitely. I mean, we talk, we've talked a fair bit about bias and assumptions that, that hiring managers might make. And, you know, you can't... You need to... A human being needs to be able to reflect upon and, and, and overwrite some of those assumptions. Yeah. yeah. Feel them happening yeah. and respond yeah. to them. And, as you say, to get to get the best out of people to make the right decisions. Yeah. Yes, it has to be. It's done in the moment, isn't it? And it's done in a such yeah. a complex way that there's yeah. no way a, a machine can replicate yeah. 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 those thought processes yeah. um, so now that we're in agreement on that <laughs> um, we need to wrap up in a moment but I, I did promise to come back to what the best companies are doing or Gosh. maybe one, one example of somebody you've worked with who's doing something yeah. particularly innovative in this space and well I'm going to give feeling a call out difference. here a call out here to our very first client um, so we, we <clears throat> when I set the business up we I was very fortunate enough to have the um, ear or the advice from one of the co-founders of the business called Reddington which is an investment consultant in the pensions industry um, and the, the co-founder of that was incredibly supportive of what we were doing and and, and said, look, we think it's great, you know, we've got some, some needs, can you help us? And they, they are consistently, uh, consistently thought leaders on topics from financial, financial education to diversity. And actually, we're, I'm doing an event with them this Friday for International Women's Day, where we have totally free invitation to whoever wants to come, um, to really sort of collaborate and discuss and share best practice and ideas and experiences to help the industry as a whole uh, um, sort of re- reach their goals and aspirations on the topic of diversity, not just women returning to work, but sort of across the diversity characteristics and um, and, and you know generationally as well, and um, and so I think they have you know made concerted interventions in their recruitment process, both at the entry level and senior level, to 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 to, to, to basically to ensure that their workforce is more reflective of society as a whole and they've significantly reduced their gender pay gap as a result Um, and and really why they've been successful is because the senior leadership of that business has been bold and brave in their decision making and said this is what we this is what we're going to do and this is how we're going to do it and um yeah Mm. so yeah very inspirational right great yeah well, well, we'll go away and look them up, I'm sure. Um, so maybe like one last question. If, you, if I could give you your magic wand and your kind of your wish list of one... Is there one thing that you... Is there one thing that you can think of that organisations could be doing that they aren't doing? Something that would really change the landscape? Yeah, I think if there's one thing to perhaps take away from this, I would say it is to look at how a company's own internal procedures and processes are preventing them moving the needle on diversity. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's very easy to look out externally for the solution. You know, let's get someone to help us with um, redesigning our job descriptions. 
let's post our job adverts on you know ABC website that is t- reaching an audience of you know mainly female candidates I mean mm. this is this is not the problem right mm. it's not the problem that these women can't find the job adverts that, that, that's not the problem that needs solving you know it's um, it's really about looking internally and saying what is it that we need to do differently systemically perhaps structurally culturally to um, to, to achieve these different outcomes because mm. there's only so much of this problem that we can outsource Mm, absolutely all that hard work that you might be doing at one end of the pipeline <laughs> is then potentially undone when that candidate walks through the door for the interview or first day or doesn't day even get to the interview doesn't, doesn't even get, get to the interview I mean we've had examples of I mean particularly recently a candidate that we worked with who was a fantastic she was a, a fixed income trader she'd had seven eight years experience fantastic references she'd taken five years out to be an entrepreneur she'd launched a health tech business great people skills very entrepreneurial speak Chinese Great, you know, understands the fixed income product set, could not get a headhunter to take her call, was getting no feedback from jobs boards that she was interviewing in. And when we she came to us and we were able to pick up the phone to a hiring manager and say, we've got this candidate, they were like, can we see her tomorrow? So it's not even that the employer doesn't necessarily want to see them, they do want to see them. It's just that the system never gets yeah. them that far. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And I think also she was, I think also she ended up putting her back into a role in the investment consulting industry for a role that if she'd seen on a jobs board she never would have applied for because she wouldn't have thought she had the skills. Mm-hmm. It's only when you put a human being, you know, who has the knowledge to say, well, actually, have you thought about this? Uh, and, and talking to them about it and explaining what it is to both, you know, perhaps from both sides, that you can bring the two together and, you know, mm-hmm. have that successful outcome. And I'm afraid you just can't do that in a, you know, in a, on a computer or yeah. a website. You know, it's, it's yeah. That's a really powerful story to wrap up with. Thank you, Dominic. I think that really underlines a lot of the themes that you've, you are clearly so passionate about, you know, that increasing the dialogue, basically, between yeah. people and, and opening up those talent pipelines so that people can can see all these yeah. talent out there. There's 400,000 400, women Yeah, 437,000, okay. according to PwC, so it's a huge numbers. It's um, a huge, huge amount yeah. of untapped talent, potentially. Yeah, um, it is. It and is. going back to those systems and processes to make sure that they aren't what's standing in the way yeah. of you accessing that, that talent pipeline. That's really that's a really yeah. strong message. Um, thank you yeah. so much. Thank you, for your thank time. you, Rachel. Thank Welcoming you. Welcoming me to your offices. <laughs> um, Pleasure. We'll put links on the episode notes to your website, your LinkedIn profile, and everything Super. else, so people Great. can find you. Great. We're also on social media. Yeah. If I can say so, uh, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter. So please do follow us. We'll link to everything in in the episode notes. Great. Thank you. Okay, thanks. I hope this episode gave you some ideas that you can replicate in your own organisation. We'd love it if you could leave a review and also subscribe to Reworked so you don't miss our next episode. Diversity and inclusion at work has never been higher up the agenda. The EW Group team includes learning and development specialists, facilitators, researchers and analysts, all with deep expertise in equality, diversity and inclusion. If you think we can help you rework your own culture, please get in touch.